Hello. Greetings. So glad that you've joined us and so glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ where disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. In the New Testament we see a lot of examples of Christians coming together and engaging in various activities in the assembly. From Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 17, uh, verse 24 and chapter 16, 1 through 3, among other passages, we see that those activities included singing, praying, the Lord's Supper, hearing a lesson, giving, and studying the Bible. And these are the things which are good for Christians to do when they come together in the assembly. And that is good for us to continue to do as well. It's good for us to consider the various activities that are described and we've just discussed uh, so that we can understand what we're doing and why we're doing them and perhaps do them uh, more according to the purpose of God in Christ. And so today, let us continue consider singing. Before we consider singing, though, there's a couple of things that are of some significance that we need to first discuss. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, the word worship is not limited to practices inside an assembly. Assembly and worship are not explicitly connected to the New Testament. In Romans 12 and verse 1, John 4, 20-24, we get the idea first of the idea that our lives are to be a uh, living holy sacrifice, which is our spiritual service to God, and that we're supposed to prostrate before God in spirit and truth. That may seem to be more the soul prostrating before uh, God according to his purposes uh, more than any actual physical act of prostration uh, which is not seen in the, in, uh, in the New Testament except in the Gospels and then again in Revelation. Uh, assembling with the saints is part of our service to God, is part of uh, the acts of service we do to God which could be understood in terms of the English word worship. But it's certainly not the sum of our worship because everything else that we do in our lives to glorify him and to accomplish his purposes would meet the same definition. We have to mention that because so many times uh, worship and the assembly are uh, in, inter inextricably intertwined in the thought process of, of many Christians, even though that association is not made in the New Testament. Likewise, we're going to look at the, some of these passages as we continue our discussion. But again, just to keep a good uh, understanding, in 1 Corinthians 14, at the end of verse 12, that we are to strive to excel in building up the church. And in verse 26, let all things be done for building up. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see what we're, why we do what we do in the assembly here, in, in, this, uh, in these passages, that we do it for edification, and for encouragement. Edification is to build up. The same word is used in Greek to describe actual building of buildings, the erection of buildings, bricks on top of bricks. That's the idea spiritually in the assembly. And also encouragement, which is to give strength. And so we are to build up spiritually and to give strength spiritually through what we do in the assembly. And therefore, everything that we do in the assembly is for that purpose to glorify God. And therefore, we need to think about these things in that light. And so, let us look at uh, singing in light of all of these things. There's a lot of commands and examples in the New Testament regarding singing. And the first one comes from our Lord himself in Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
So there's a hymn that Jesus sings here between the uh, Lord's Supper, the Passover meal that they had just participated in, and leaving and going out of the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus and the disciples uh, are, are Jewish and participating in a Passover. And it was a tradition in the Jewish Passover Seder, which is the Passover meal and all the traditions involved surrounding it, that they would sing a compilation of psalms in Psalm 113, 14, 15, 16, 117, 118. It's called the Hallelujah by the Jews. It's the Hallel Psalms. And uh, that we have a good reason, therefore, to believe that that's what Jesus was doing when he was singing the hymn. He was singing the Hallelujah Psalms, the Hallel Psalms from Psalms 113 to 118. This is not an assembly of the church, granted, because the church isn't existing yet, but we all we see that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn together, that it was the Psalms, and it would not have involved any kind of accompaniment. They were singing together uh, as part of the Passover and, and to encourage one another. We return to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. We read the end of that verse where we said, Let all things be done unto edification. But before that, in that passage... Uh, what is it? And what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a, tre- a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Hymn there is almost as a psalm. And so, um, we do not have the particular spiritual gifts, perhaps, that were present in in this part of in this time here during the Corinthian Christians. Uh, that we have we are beyond the time where uh, the speaking tongues and prophecies has passed away. Uh, but when we come together, we may have a lesson, and we may have a psalm, or a hymn, as is said here. Uh, it is an assembly of the congregation, though. And we see there the example that early Christians, when they came together, would have chosen psalms to sing. Uh, the problem in Corinth, of course, is things aren't being done orderly, and it was kind of chaotic, and, and so they were supposed to clean up the, uh, the, the chaotic aspect of it, but they were still to do the things that they were doing, just in a more orderly way. And we should notice that Christians are singing psalms. And the psalm is the hymn book of Israel. It's the hymn book God has given us. And they've always sustained Israel and the people of God. And if we have hymnody in all the various hymns that we have without psalmody, without actual references to psalms, and without actual singing of the psalms, something like what is revealed in, in the Bible, it leads to a very diminished spiritual diet. We also have Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Ephesians 5, 19. Paul says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Ephesians 5 is not necessarily talking about the context of the assembly. But we see, as he says there, to singing, addressing one another. So, by necessity, whatever context is involved, and maybe more more broad than the assembly, but it's certainly not less than the assembly. And we come together and we're singing with one another. We're singing to one another in that situation. We're to sing, as it says, addressing one another with mel- making melody in our hearts. And uh, it's very important for us to, to keep in mind. Likewise, in Colossians 3 and verse 16, a parallel passage to Ephesians 5 and verse 19, Paul says, And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, not the assembly specifically, but would include the assembly. 
the songs that we sing are to be with thankfulness in our hearts to God, and they involve teaching and admonishing one another. And so we do see singing. We see that Jesus and his disciples sang when they were together. We see that Christians in the assembly were singing psalms. And that Paul speaks about the importance and exhorts about the importance of singing to one another, with one another, which would certainly include the assembly context. Okay, so what should we sing then? Well, we see that in Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, there are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, for generations, people have tried to find various ways to make distinctions among these particular categories. Um, psalms is clearly um, the book of Psalms. Uh, within the book of Psalms, some of the Psalms are called hymnos and odes, hymns and ode, hymn and ode, or spiritual songs. So that might be what's involved. Uh, some have tried to make a little categorization difference between Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, in honor of God, or short poems with the song. But it's really hard to make really hard and fast distinctions. But there's also no specific songs mentioned in the text. And so there's some liberty, a lot of liberty, granted, in terms of the specific songs that we sing, as long as they're psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and direct us to encouraging one another and have substantive encouragement and edification within the song, uh, can be sung consistently with what is revealed about God and Christ and ourselves in Scripture. And uh, we do well to understand that even then we need to make sure we keep a good holistic balance uh, and, and not to focus too much on certain songs over others, but that all involves matters of liberty. But why, why do we sing? This is something that's pretty important in our understanding. Uh, why do we sing? So a lot of times people sing. Why do we sing in church? Well, it's because we sing in church. Uh, some people might say, well, we sing to praise God in church. Um, and, we certain, and certainly God is to be praised in our singing. But it's interesting to note in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 that uh, what singing is called. It's called addressing one another or teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom as the what singing is. And so our singing is a means by which we speak to one another, teach one another, and to admonish one another. And so it's a way that we strengthen one another. It, that in the singing of a song that we are telling each other the substance of what is being sung. And that is why it's so important that we know what we're singing and that we sing it with our, the melody is in our hearts. Uh, a lot of times it becomes very easy to make singing a situation where a songbook is held up or everybody's looking now at the PowerPoint projector and they're kind of mumbling through the words. Uh, garbling through the words in the song. Uh, our singing is also not to be a road exercise that does not involve any significant thought. The idea is that when we sing, the what we're saying in the song, the words we're using, we're saying to one another. You didn't write the song, neither did I. You didn't choose the melody, perhaps, neither did I. But we still have to make that song our own, make the words our own, and have the idea that we're saying it to others so that uh, they can be encouraged. To get an idea of this, we can just look at songs in the songbook. And there's all kinds of different songs that are sung in a songbook, and you can kind of think about perhaps some of the songs you have sung in, in, in the assembly. 
but we can consider some songs. So, for instance, we have here, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. It's a very common song. The words are actually from Psalm 148, so it's actually a psalm. And it is a song of praise. Uh, God is being praised in the song. And in the content of that psalm, the idea is that everything is praising God. Jehovah was the old way of understanding Yahweh, the name of God. Uh, not really accurate Hebrew, but was used frequently in the late in the modern period to refer to God. And the idea is you praise Him, the heavens praise His name, uh, all His angels proclaim praise, all of His armies, His hosts proclaim, the celestial beings, uh, the forces of earth, the inhabitants of earth, humans great and small, all praise God. This would be a great song also for an individual to sing. If any of you more you cheerful, let him sing praises. Sing out, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. It's a great song. It's a psalm. It, 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 it is, it, there's a lot of great value in that song. And the idea is that we are telling one another, Praise God. Look at how everything is supposed to praise God. And so oh, we're joining this mighty chorus, praising, praising God. There's also... All kinds of uh, different types of songs. Uh, so that's a praise song. Other songs that would be involved would be songs where we are exhorting one another. Where we're telling each other the message of the song. An example of that would be, take the name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you. When you think about the words of it, take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then wherever you go. Take the name of Jesus ever as a shield from every snare. If temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Oh, the precious name of Jesus, how it thrills our souls with joy when his loving arms receive us and his songs our tongues employ. So the idea there is... It's an exhortation. This is a mini-sermon in a song. And the idea is to remember Jesus throughout all that goes on in life. Realizing that there's difficulties that are going to come. And that we need to root ourselves constantly in the name of Jesus. This is very much uh, consistent with uh, Paul's message in Colossians 2 and other places. And so it represents a great song of exhortation. And when we sing that song, it's not just kind of some random thing. Uh, it's not exactly praise to God. God, G God already knows how great the name of Jesus is. Uh, it's not addressed to God in any way. Instead, it's addressed to one another. That does not make it a bad song. It does not mean it should not be sung. It's just we need to realize that we are praising God, glorifying God, and seeking His purposes when we remind each other, in a song like this, of the message that is being established. Frequently in our assemblies, we have songs that we we call uh, uh, the song to help prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. It's a very interesting tendency uh, because obviously the scriptures do not explicitly say that Christians uh, sang a particular song that reflected upon the life or death of Jesus before they partook of the Lord's Supper. But it's one of those things that uh, we can do it. It's certainly not contrary to Scripture. It's certainly not a bad idea to focus our minds on Jesus uh, when we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. So that's certainly not a difficulty at all. And there's a whole host of songs that uh, are 
good for that purpose. Uh, songs that remember the death of Jesus and the things that he has done for us. Uh, one of the old ones is, There is a fountain filled with blood. Uh, and its words, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Dear dying Lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power, till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wound supply, redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. Then in a nobler, sweeter song I'll sing thy power to save, when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. That's all good. It reminds us of the fact that Jesus' death is what allows for our salvation. And that's... Uh, and in many other songs that speak similar uh, elements that we frequently use. The other trend that we often have is the trend of, of having an invitation song, where the invitation itself is its own kind of tradition, um, where we give people an opportunity to reflect on their lives and see if they need to make a change. And they maybe need to become a follower of Jesus to begin with, or they need to... Uh, actually uh, change their their feelings. They gotta change their behaviors, they gotta repent, and so they need to they there's this invitation to come and make things right among the people of God. Um a, fi a one used often, especially in the evening, is uh, oh why not tonight? Um of course during the morning assembly that would be kind of awkward. But the idea, oh do not let the word depart and close thine eyes against the light. Poor sinner, harden not your heart, be saved, oh tonight. Tomorrow sun may never rise to bless thy long deluded sight. This is the time will then be wise, be saved, O tonight. Our blessed Lord refuses none who would to him their souls unite. Believe, obey, the work is done, be saved, O tonight. It's very interesting that these days, a lot of times, the message we have in our sinner, in our, in our sinners, in our songbooks, uh, is much stronger like, to the to the person who is in sin than perhaps we would often feel comfortable saying to them uh, in person. Uh, can you imagine walking up to somebody? Uh, and say, tomorrow some may never rise to bless your long-deluded sight. Uh, you know, that's not something we may not say to somebody, but uh, we sing it. And there may be times that might actually convict somebody's heart. And so again, it's a tradition, but it's certainly something that is appropriate uh, in certain circumstances. And I hope that kind of going through some of these, and again, we just I just randomly picked a few songs from the songbook. Uh, you could find any songbook and do the same thing. You can do that about the songs that you would have sung at a recent assembly, or you can just pick up a songbook and, or look for Christian hymns and do a same type of, of a, a situation. And you can recognize that the point of singing is to encourage one another in the message. This is very important because in our modern situation, a lot of people have redefined edification and encouragement. Such edification. Edification has become, I feel so edified after that experience. And what they mean by edified is that they have felt a strong emotional feeling. That the experience was tuned to the emotions to, to provide a spiritual high. And it's not as if that kind of experience has no value, but that's not edification. It, it, what is left over after the feeling wears off? If there is nothing that's on the spirit foundation that has been built, if nothing ha no brick has been added, then it 
really wasn't edifying. It was a great emotional high, but it wasn't edifying. It did not actually provide substantive growth in faith. In the New Testament, the ideas and we're singing, we're telling ourselves this message, and it's the message that that we're reinforced in and built up in. Nowhere in the Bible does God call upon his children to become perfect singers. It's not the point. We always should strive to make our singing better. We should strive to excel in everything that we do. But it's not the primary point of our singing. Singing is not about the performance. The performance can get in the way if it's too good, if it's too high quality, and everybody's just enraptured with the way it sounds. And also, on the other side, if it's done too poorly, where the people are getting lost in trying to sing the song and therefore not in a place to focus on what they're singing. And so the performance needs to be in a balance where it is being led and sung so that the song itself can shine. So that people can really absorb the meaning of the song and feel like they're telling each other that and are not getting caught up in how great it sounds or in all of the difficulties in trying to communicate the message, so to speak. It doesn't matter how good or bad it sounds. If it's not a message that people are saying to each other, it's not accomplishing its purposes. That's what the point is. And that's what singing is all about. That's how it becomes edification. When it's about the substance, not the performance. So having seen what we're supposed to do with our singing, and and what the value is in the singing, we can now talk about why we are not involved in other... We're not doing certain things in our singing. And of course, the first is, and and, and the most prominent is instrumental music. One of the things that... uh, we, quote-unquote, are known for is we don't use instruments. You're the people who don't use instruments. And it seems as some kind of weird peculiarity. Some people think we don't can't afford an instrument or something of the sort. And that's not it. But we seem very odd, don't we? And perhaps outright legalistic and heretical in the eyes of some because we don't use instruments in our assembly. A lot of people who go to various denominational churches, evangelical churches, use it without really thinking about it. It's a given. It's there. It's used all over the place. You turn on the radio and it's there. It's made normative by tradition uh, in many churches, even though for most of those churches, 250, 300 years ago, would not have been using instruments, uh, and, and even before. Uh, we can appeal to the fact that instruments were not used in Christian assemblies until the second half of the first millennium, so you didn't even see any until 500 or after that. Uh, then God passed over them in silence in the New Testament, uh, even though plenty of opportunities to talk about it, and they were used in the Old Covenant. And that's all very true. And, that's, and those are arguments that have their day. But when we look at the purpose of singing, it can become rather clear why God passed over them in silence. Why don't we sing? Because they don't help us speak to one another in song. If we began to make all kinds of noise while trying to talk here, and you're hearing all kinds of things, and it's getting in the way of what you're hearing. If there's a lot of static or distortion or all kinds of side noises, it's very hard to pay attention and to follow what the person is saying. And if that's true, if I'm just speaking with you, as I am right now, 
what does that mean we're supposed to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? A guitar, an organ, piano, keyboard, drums, never communicated the gospel message, never provided the message of a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song in history. They don't. They don't speak. They don't communicate. They are only used to enhance the performance of a psalm or hymn or spiritual song. But then the focus is put on the performance and not the substance. In the most extreme versions, if you have ever been to a church building that has an organ and the organ is playing, and there is singing going on, and you cannot hear the words being sung because the organ drowns it all out. Performance has overtaken substance, because you can't hear the words. All you can hear is the organ. But even so, instruments put the focus away from speaking to one another and onto the instruments. The instruments and their performance do a lot of emotional manipulations and things of the sort that were consistent with what the pagans were doing, which is the explicit reason the early Christians gave for not using them, and uh, should be instructive for us as well. Um, there's no way that a guitar helps you learn the, wor the, the message of a song better. It doesn't. It can't. That's not its place or its purpose. Furthermore, when you introduce instruments into the assembly, it makes it a divide between those who play and those who don't. And therefore, those who play, are. it helps to facilitate this idea that this is an entertainment situation, where uh, they have an audience to be entertained and the entertainers on stage, which is completely not in the spirit of what we see about the assembly in the New Testament. And again, it focuses on the production of the song and not the message of the song. God does not desire the work of man's hands to praise him. He wants men to praise them with the instrument God made in us, and that is our voice. It's somewhat ironic that the same people who defend the idea that God would save man with no works of man, but think that they should praise God with the works of their hands. It's, it's very interesting, actually. And so we need to recognize instruments don't help us un reach the purpose of singing in our assembly. That's why we don't have them. We've also, though, seen the development, in, in not only in, in the churches who would use instruments and denominations and, and evangelicals and others, but also even among Lord's people, the use of either choirs or solos or praise teams, um, where some are singing and others are not. And we don't see that kind of thing in the New Testament. And again, if we look to the purpose of our singing, there's a disconnect. Because the emphasis in Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, is addressing one another. Singing one to another. How can we sing one to another if not all are singing? How can singing be a means by which we exhort one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, address one another, if not everybody is participating? Within, as with instrumental music, so with choirs or solos or praise teams. Whatever you're trying to say to rationalize them, they're, they're emphasizing the performance over the substance. 
it begins to serve as entertainment because some are sitting while others are doing the singing. It's not much different from a concert many times. And most importantly, it robs people of the opportunity to participate in the song together and to recognize that all have equal value together. Some people have better voices than others. There's no doubt about that. There's some people who feel more comfortable singing than others. There's no doubt about that. But a very important part of singing is that it is something we do together. Where the rich and the poor, the people different races and classes, different abilities, bring their voices together as one to praise a God who is one in relational unity and who yearns for us to be in relational unity with him and with one another. John 17. Our singing should reflect that. And it can only reflect that when we're all participating. So we've done some conversation about singing in the assembly. Although we've seen that the scriptures do show that we need to sing with one another. And that it was done in the assembly. And that we are to sing to exhort one another, praise God, to instruct one another, admonish one another. Depending on the song itself. That we're singing to build each other up. And that's not just some kind of emotional buzz. But it involves substantive spiritual truths that our singing is only going to be effective when we put our heart, soul, and mind into it, and that we are doing it together. That bringing instruments in, or having certain people sing and others not, or some sing more uh, more emphasized than others, only hinder and cannot help us focus on the message of the song and for it as a joint participation in Jesus. And so let us strive to speak to one another in song, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, to edify the body of Christ. Again, very thankful that you spent this time with us. We hope that you've been encouraged by this consideration. If you'd like to discuss anything about singing further, if you'd like to talk about other subjects related to the Bible, uh, if you just need to talk or have a prayer request, if there's any way I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me from my website at verbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. If you'd like to know more about the Venice Church of Christ, like check us out. You can find us online at venicechurchofchrist.org, and we're also on social media. Thanks much, and have a great day.